It is with great sadness that I acknowledge the passing of Lonnie Koneko. Those of you on the island who knew him know him better than any way that I could describe him. And for all of the rest of my listeners, he is the guest poet that you are about to hear from over the next hour. It was a delight to spend time with him. A kinder, more sweet-hearted person I'm not sure I've ever met. I'm sure you will enjoy the show. Good day, everyone. This is March Twisdale, producer and host of Prose, Poetry, and Purpose. And I'd like to welcome you to my interview with Vashon Islander, Lonnie Kaneko. Lonnie, thanks for joining me today. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. So Lonnie Kaneko is pretty well known on the island, um, but... I have lots of listeners who are not on the island. So, Lonnie, if you don't mind, I would love it if you could give our listeners a bit of context, sort of about, you know, who you are, what you do. Go ahead and tell us about yourself. So, uh, I've uh, been living on the island for a little over 30 years. Uh, I moved here uh, from uh, Seattle, where uh, I've been working at Highline College since uh, the 1960s which gives you a sense of how old I am, I'm afraid. Um, I'm a Japanese-American, third generation. Um, My grandparents, both grandparents, arrived in the United States in the 1890s, I think around 1895 or so. My father was born in Seattle in uh, 1905, and my mother was born in Seattle in 1909. So I have deep Mm. Seattle roots. Yeah, you do. You have a collected work right now, which is called Coming Home from Camp and Other Other Poems. Poems. Right, right. A final collection of what had previously been, I think, three different pieces? Well, the two different books. Uh, The the original book was Coming Home from Camp, and uh, it was published... uh, 1986, I believe it was, <laughs> right. and then and then shortly after that, uh, I had a collaboration with um, painter Camille Pathé, where um, I wrote some short pieces and uh, she did some monoprints that she put together uh, for a Valentine show, and that was called "You Make My Silence Sing." Right, you make my silence sing, and the purpose in a way, or what happened in that situation was literally a collaboration between a visual artist, a literary artist, and I think you said that she wanted you to first create the piece of poetry, and then she wanted to internalize that and create the visual art afterwards, or was it vice versa? I think it may have been my writing the poems first, uh... I don't remember. It may have worked both ways. She and I knew each other because we had both been on the, at the time, King County Arts Commission. And uh, uh, she contacted me. Uh, she actually had taught at Highline College as well, uh, where, mm-hmm. where I currently work. So we had a little bit of a connection, and she called me up and said, Lonnie, uh, would you like to do this thing? I have this idea. And so right. I said, sure. And so over the span of maybe... A month or less, I wrote a lot of very, very short poems, and Mm -hmm. she was producing monoprints. And then I would go over and write the poems on the monoprints, but I wish my handwriting were better. (laughs) Oh, come on. You don't want that? I mean, history would be so boring if everyone had good print. 
Oh, we want it to look nice, you know. But. No, we want it to look like who they are. We want to have a sense that this person was in a fast and furious mood, and this person was very methodical and very focused, and this person was very artistic and very into curly cues. Handwriting. Oh, I should interview someone who writes about handwriting. It's got to be a fascinating That's field. Right. You should. You should. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, mm. I, I think it's because my mother's hand was so pure. Right. And, and she had beautiful handwriting. And uh, if if you saw her letters, mm-hmm. uh, you would think that uh, it was done by some kind of machine, uh, even though um, uh, with all the curlicues being perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and she also wrote uh, kanji. Uh, when when she was in when we were in the internment camp, she was taking uh, lessons on how to write Japanese. And, oh wow! And, and she had a beautiful hand with that too. So so the amazing thing is when I had a student come up to me after class mm-hmm. and asking me to tell him what I wrote on his paper <laughs> because he had never been taught cursive. Yeah, that's right. Writing. Oh, I know. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> and you're right. I think handwriting is your personality. You know? But my children, it's the same thing. If I'm like, okay, guys, I wrote your chores down. I can't read. It's in cursive. I'm like, that is so your problem. <laughs> like, <laughs> I tried to teach you cursive for years. And if you can't, you're just going to have to figure it out because like 80% of the human, well, at this point, 70% of the human population still writes in cursive. So... Mm-hmm. I I'm a, I don't even want to get into it. I don't think schools are teaching cursive anymore, which seems... So we don't have to sign our checks anymore. That's weird. We still and, do, and, don't and, we? And, well, we don't have to write checks. And, yeah, but, hand, but cursive is a way of writing to... faster um, and more smoothly when you're handwriting a letter or anything to someone. Well, I think about the, the haiku that people wrote with a brush that was so stylized that right. nobody can actually read them. Well, that's sort of like those Bibles that were made by the monks, right? Like, you know, 1,200 <laughs> years ago. It's hard to read that writing, right, too. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, so tell us, actually, real quick, I've got a, a fun little list here of things we're going to dive into. I'm going to bounce around. So let's start off first with your name, which is spelled L-O-N-N-Y. And I sort of thought maybe it was a nickname, but you said that it's not. Oh, it's uh, my name because my mother's name was Lois. This is the old cliche, right? My father's name is Sanetomo, which is a grand-sounding name, I think. And that's the first name. That's his first name, yes. Sanetomo. Yes, Sanetomo. Sanetomo. And and, uh, people would shorten it to Sani. Mm -hmm. So the cliche happens, Mm -hmm. L-O-N-N-Y, and they go together. Oh, that's cute. So your name is, the first half is your mother's actual name, and the second half is actually the diminutive of your father's name. And then my, I have a middle name that's a Japanese name. Right. And what I understand is that the character is one of the two characters from my father's name. So oh. I'm actually got his name, although it's, it's pronounced differently, as my middle name, part of his name, yeah. So what's your middle name? Uh, Minoru. Say again? Minoru. Wait, is that a D or an R near the end? It's an or R, R, but R. when you say it with the Japanese, it's not quite an R. So it's not Minoru. Right. 
Right. Or minoru. But it's not rolled either like Spanish. It's not rolled either, yeah. So So say it one more time. Minoru. Minoru. No, that's rolling it, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, okay, so so Lonnie, that's a fun... Yeah, name stories are really cool, I think. Let's see. You said you were on the King County Arts Commission. I have this absolute zero sense of what that means, what the function is. Could you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about what King County is doing with regards to arts through this commission? Explain it to us a bit. Well, I, I believe the commission is no longer in existence. Oh. And it's called something else now. Okay. Uh, and, but, but at the time, yeah. uh, uh, it, it was, it was a, a, a separate office, just like the Washington State Arts Commission. Okay. Uh, it, it had funding that was uh, from, from the county. And uh, there were projects that would come through. In fact, I remember uh, uh, maybe the first time that VAA had applied for money at the King mm-hmm. County Arts Commission. And at the time, I wasn't living on the island, and everyone went, oh, Vashon Island, what's that? Oh, uh, my goodness. And so, so, so it was, it was a, a time when the members of the commission had to, had to find out about the island. And I don't remember if it got funding the first time or not, right. but, but I know it has since then. So the per, so basically, King County feels like it has um, a desire slash obligation to encourage and support the arts community. Yes, yes, definitely so. Okay. And uh, uh, they they have also funded some of the uh, uh, visual arts, sculpture, and so forth uh, in the county. And the, and Seattle it's, had their Seattle's own arts in commission. King county, right? Yes. So but, they get double down. They get that, county that, funds that, and they get city funds and the state. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then we have Vashon. What does Vashon get? <laughs> County and state, just not city. That's right. That's interesting. I wonder what it would be like to live somewhere where they didn't fund the arts very much. I think we're so used to it. It's just everywhere we go. It's just around us. But I bet you could go somewhere where they don't fund the arts. Well, I'll bet you hear a lot of arguments from people who want to defund the arts. Oh. That also happens. Right. Yes. Right, right. So, like a lot of things, those things that you want to keep, you have to keep in touch with and mm-hmm. continually remind legislators. And well, in King County, them. from what I understand, the amount of money generated by King County, if you were to compare King County and its revenue to all of the states of the union and their revenue, I think King County is number six. Really? Yeah. It actually has more revenue than there's 50 states in the union, right? 52 cards in a deck, 50 states <laughs> in the union. Yeah, so that means 46 of the states of our union have less revenue generated than King County. Hmm. 44. Hmm. 44. I know. So anyways, we're very lucky. I think a lot of times people don't realize how lucky they are to be yes. here. you got to travel the world to understand how lucky you are sometimes. All righty, so you brought your book of poetry, mm-hmm. and um, I'm going to take a minute to remind everybody um, that you're listening to Prose, Poetry, and Purpose, recorded at the sunny and bright studio of Voice of Vashon. My name is March Twisdale. I'm speaking today with Lonnie Kaneko, author of Coming Home from Camp and Other Poems. You can drop by the Vashon Bookshop and peruse a store copy of his poetry. Lonnie, you've got your poetry book here, and you've got a couple of poems you're going to share with us, right? Yes. 
Okay, why don't we go ahead and start with the first one? I read a poem called uh, Coming Home from Camp. It has three parts to it, and I'll read the first two parts. All right. Maybe a little long. I hope you'll stay with me. Oh, yeah. All right, everyone. So settle back, grab your coffee, get ready. Here we go. So uh, the, the first part is called Her Words to No One, 1946, and it tries to use my mother's voice. It seems like the same thing all over again, but worse. One room, three of us in one bed, a hot plate, sink, no refrigerator, the milk spoils on the windowsill, the bathroom's public, I scour the tub twice, and no job. Daddy can't find a job. He's tried. The 25 they gave us as we left the gates, not enough for rent, food, and tools. I've tried the PTA. The teachers try to be conversational. The other parents smile and look away. The farmers in Idaho were shocked that we spoke English just like them. They thought we'd be killers, spies, who spoke strange words and bowed a lot. We fixed our smiles at them when they asked, Why have they sent you here? Heck, we had just as much right to be happy. I tried to make the barrack a home and ignore the racket the coyotes made at night. You should have heard them and the thunder. In this hotel, I look out the window and see only a brick wall four feet away. No sky. I guess camp wasn't so bad. At least we had a yard, even if the fence was there to keep us in. The menfolk learned to make tables and chairs and toys like Mickey Mouse and Pluto. I learned to embroider flowers and birds on a branch. Here there's the whine of cars and howls from trains grinding into the station night after night. There's no reason to say things will get better. Daddy's got to try harder, but he won't or can't. I never knew this side of him. After a while, you realize that nothing changes. You don't say, keep trying. You know that nothing changes. It just repeats, and then you stop. You don't know when it happens, but it does. That's the first part or both parts? That's the first part. That's the first part, right. And that's in your mom's voice. Yes. We can your... talk about that a little bit if you'd like. I think so. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> you know. <clears throat> so so this. this. Well, let's preface it so everyone knows, it, just in case they might have missed it somehow. What we're talking about is um, when the United States of America succumbed to propaganda and fear and decided to take a segment of its population based upon their ethnicity, um, genetic heritage, or immigrant status, because some of them were Nisei, right? And everyone who could be perceived as Japanese within 150 miles of the Pacific coastline was gathered up and taken further into the country and put into internment camps. The language may have been all aliens and non-aliens. Got it were to be moved to the camps. Right. So at the time, alien would have been used for someone who was not native-born, 
And a non-alien is anyone born in the country. So non-alien means citizens. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But they are. So they it's interesting how the learning. language is used to take the edge off of uh, uh, what was actually happening. Right. Yeah. Right. So instead of Japanese citizens, it was aliens and non-aliens. Instead of American citizens, right, so right, 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 non-aliens, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Only it wasn't um, other aliens and non-aliens. It was specifically. I mean, they didn't. They didn't take um, people from Mexico or people from China, or they specifically well, in, in this went particular after the order, Japanese. In this particular order, it was. It 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 meant aliens. And non-aliens of Japanese descent. Right, right. Um, now, there were also some Italians and Germans, I believe, who were moved into a camp in um, Texas. Ah, interesting. Crystal City. Interesting. Right, that would make sense. But they Given were... The times. But, but But they were, uh, I think... All aliens, although they had their children with them who were born in the United States. That's fascinating that we don't that we don't hear about that piece. It was it was a, a I think relatively small number, but mm-hmm. it was still significant. Yes, mm-hmm. um, there is a book called uh, "The Train to Crystal City" mm. uh, that came out recently. I, I read over the last summer and found fascinating. Um, I was interested in Crystal City partly because I have an aunt who ended up in Crystal City, and we can talk about her a little yeah. bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. We will get – you know what I think is there's so many people right now trying to figure out the mindset and the, the thinking that goes into what it was that led Americans to say we're okay with this or we're going to look the other way, we're not going to speak out. Some people did. And it's interesting. A lot of it seems to focus around a concept of people – are loyal inherently or something. And what I mean by that is, you know, how do you say to some, you know, young kid who is, you know, 16, 18 years old, listening to the same music, going to the same school, dressing like every other typical American kid at that time, you know, and say to them, I'm just going to assume that your brain is not your own to control and that based upon, you know, your family background, you must think this. Which is the same thing people say when they try to suggest that all Muslims in the world are evil because some Muslims go out and commit terrorist acts. Well, I'm in trouble as a white person given how many white people have done some pretty horrible things if my brain is limited to the behavior of badly behaving white people. And and that's probably true of many immigrant groups that would make the assumption that their children should go back to whatever country their parents came from, uh, even though they may have no language or experience with uh, that other culture. Right, right, which really ties into this this push of, I think recently someone fairly prominent um, within the government was saying, you know, we need to make make an example by, by deporting American-born children back to you know, Nicaragua, Mexico, wherever their family is, make an example of them. I mean, just imagine, you know, the nice little 16-year-old white girl down the street living her life as an American, and then you just say to her, by the way, we're throwing you into, you know, Nicaragua because that's where your, you know, parents are from. It's like 
she would have no clue where she was going. No, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, even the parents. idea, even the idea of back to, because there is no back to for that person. Right. Yeah. Right. They never came from. That's therefore, right. they can't go back. Right. This has happened more often than we might remember. I, mm-hmm. I believe it was. Was it 1990, 1980, mm-hmm. uh, 1980 uh, when we had the, the Iran crisis? You mean Iran-Contra uh, yes, thing? Yes, and there was a movement of one senator who wanted to take all Iranians, Persians in this country and put them into camps. <sighs> and some of us were very sensitive to that. And yeah. Were, Signing petitions. I would say anyone with awareness around that's going to be pretty sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, it reminds me that so there was um, you know human beings learn in their life. They're not born with they with instinctual memories of what was taught before. Every single generation. It's one of the reasons why I think it's so brilliant that there's been such a a heavy focus on what happened during World War II in Germany is to make sure that we can keep it alive. You know, my son at the middle school, you know, has been learning about the Nazi concentration camps and things like that. And it's like, it doesn't really matter how much time passes. That is a huge lesson that millions of people died in order to create, and certainly not intentionally, but it cost millions of lives, devastated, you know, life for decades. And we want to do everything we can to carry that lesson forward to each generation. I think that's how we we keep awareness strong so we can avoid repeating the mistake. Anyways, I'm really glad you came on the show today. Uh, you want to read the second part of that? Sure. I, I, I just want to say that, that this first part, tries to capture the difficulties that my parents faced when they came from the camps. They had the $25 that was supposed to resettle them and get them started again. Uh, They had no place to to stay, Mm -hmm. and we ended up in a hotel on Dearborn Street. Um, I think it was called – I've forgotten the name of it. It's just popped into my mind. I think it was called the Cascade Hotel. Uh, Mm -hmm. The freeway currently goes right over it, so it no longer exists. Oh, wow. I don't. So literally, the American government said, "We took you away from your life. Like, grab a bag, get what you want, pull you out of your home. You're not a criminal. Haven't done anything wrong. But we're going to do this anyways. Two to three years in a camp, and then at the end, I think they got either a bus ticket, a train ticket, and twenty five dollars cash. Go off and be fruitful, basically. Yes, I remember the train back. Yeah. How old were you? Well, I would have been. Five, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was a long train trip. That's my recollection. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So the second poem um, is called "His Words After Work," mm. uh, and a- after after my family came back, uh, uh, I think my mother had a hard time with it, and um, so this is my father's reaction to it and to his own situation. God damn it, she doesn't want to do anything. She's locked herself in the house and won't go out. I tell her, let's go visit, but she won't. Don't have a thing to wear, she insists. Buy a dress, I say. It's a waste, she says, to cut 12 inches off a dress to make it fit, and children's clothes never. 
After 12 hours of work, I feel like company when I get home. Some nights I walk to the drugstore to chew the fat. I know, I promise to fix the house. It's better than the old hotel, but needs cupboards and a furnace. The oil heater's okay. I cut a hole in the ceiling to heat upstairs, but it's not enough when it snows. The kids had mumps, tonsillitis, and measles for two months straight. We cross our fingers and hope. She keeps ten years of life in piles, ten years of look, better homes and gardens, good housekeeping, and now a stack of family circle. All we do is eat and read the paper. Before the war, she'd shake the doors with me in Chinatown. You call it security. When the shops closed, we'd go down and make sure. Got shot once in the leg while eating udon. Saw a Chinaman wave a gun. We slid behind a table, and I drew mine, but he shot and ran. Think that's why they gave me a badge at camp. Made me captain because I carried a gun and kept my peace. I hope there's work to get us through the week. I hope for something steadier than cutting grass in summer rain and bleeding chickens in the snow. Then I think it's just as well. I'd hate to lose it all again. There's less to lose like this. No choice in those days. Everywhere I looked, they said, sorry, you're too old. I was 42 and strong enough to last another 20. Hell, the truth is, they wouldn't trust this Jap to keep a parking lot full of cars. It's enough to keep this house. What can you do but hope you'll change so they won't say no? That's the magic word, change. You hope it's better for you. You hope it's better for your son. That's why you work. You hope or die. This kind of tries to tell what happened to my father when we came back from the camp. I know he tells a story of how we went to try to find a job, and and he couldn't find one uh, at companies like Boeing. He even applied to be a parking lot attendant, mm -hmm. and that's that reference to they wouldn't even trust him to keep a parking lot full of cars. Uh, and so he ended up then uh, as a gardener, and then in the wintertime, because gardening, of course, is seasonal, uh, he, he worked uh, in a place that butchered chickens. So, um, and, and at other times, uh, he worked as a hotel clerk. Before the war, he had a business, an interesting one. He was, uh, he, he ran security for Chinatown. He was a night watchman and had, oh. had, had all the businesses paid him <laughs> money and, and, and when he says that shake we used to the shake doors, the doors, right. they would go. My mother would go with him, and they would shake the doors to be sure they were locked and, and, right. and go on. And so he was actually, I think, doing pretty well before the war started. Sure. Um, uh, they had a house on Beacon Hill, uh, just on the south end of the Jefferson Golf Course, mm. a little place on Snoqualmie Street. Mm -hmm. That they tell me they were just about ready to buy. They were renting, mm -hmm. and they had just bought a car. Mm. So, so they were doing, I think, pretty good. Kind of almost like getting up into middle class, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then the war came, and then afterwards, uh, I, it never, it never got back to where it was. I, I think that's really interesting. You work and you hope. At the end of the poem, mm. you know, it, it seems very much, in a way, um, you know, actually a man's perspective. 
I mean, really, you know, going to work is outlet a form and expression of hoping that things are better for your child. And it may be the only way that he can express his love. Right. It may be duty or it may be love. It's really sometimes hard to tell the difference. That's actually a really good point. It's, it's, it's what people have to live through. It's certainly what my folks had to live through, and I unfortunately had to watch them go through it. Right. Um, and there were, there were some people who, who had an education who were able to come back and, and, and to find a place for themselves. And well, unfortunately, my father never did. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, so, so, so we were uh, well, we were lucky that he was someone who didn't give up and he, he continued to work. And, right. Um, and fulfilled what he saw as, as his journey. Um, how old were your parents when they passed? I think 75. Mm-hmm. And my mother lasted to 100. Were they close in age when uh, they got married? Four or five years apart. So she spent a good 25 or so years on her own after her husband passed. Yes, yes, yes. I think she had her her time of of mourning, but after that, I think, you know, she just picked up with her life, and right. and she was pretty much a singular person. She didn't socialize. She didn't drive. Took care of herself, pretty much. Right. Um, she lived in the central area, and... Um, so she could walk to the grocer. You no, know, she, she took the bus. Took the bus, right, She had to right. take the bus to Broadway, mm-hmm. uh, she would shop at Safeway, and mm-hmm. well, I shouldn't name the stores, I guess. Uh, That's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, and and then carry her groceries back home on the bus. Right, right. And and so so in some ways she was always in really good shape. Uh, she used to uh, mow her own lawn with a hand lawnmower. She was about eighty nine or so, and then and then her well meaning neighbor started cutting her grass for her with a power lawnmower, and so I think she lost a little strength there. <laughs> <laughs> He'd like he'd go on vacation. And she'd be like, "Yeah, get to mow." <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there, there you, used yeah. to there used to be people uh, who lived in the uh, nearby apartments would come by and they say, "Here, here, here, Mama San, let me help you." And, and and they'd take a swipe at it and then, and then not be able to move them more. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she yeah. would take the whole afternoon, I think, to to cut her small patch of grass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My um my husband's parents um. Well, now his father was born in Texas, and his mother was born in the Chihuahua region of Mexico. Mm -hmm. But dad was Mexican, too. He just happened to be on the Texas side of the border. So he was born um, an American citizen. And he went back to Chihuahua. And actually, it's a very interesting story I won't dive into, but ended up with um, eventually marrying um, my mother-in-law. And um, she never learned how to drive, you know. Um, and she, I think she made, she only made it to 88, mm-hmm. which is That's good, still a good, you know, yeah. but, um, well, when you yeah. Think, when you think about the generations mm-hmm. to be able to live to 88 or 90, mm-hmm. this is really good. Um, well, you know, I think there's a, I think, and I need to go find myself someone who's done some incredible research on this to check if I'm accurate or not, but, um, People have a general impression. My dad, especially, grew up with it. Um, the the is what was taught 
You remember back in the 50s when there, the story goes, a boy looked up at the world map and said, South America has the same shape as Africa. Maybe the two of them used to be next to each other. And the teacher scoffed at this child and said, are you crazy? What are you talking about? This is a ridiculous idea. And of course it was accurate, right? <laughs> you know. So um, one of the stories often taught is how, and it's true in the Middle Ages at least, that you know people used to have this horrible... Um, everyone died in their 40s, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, the length of life. But, you know, they're talking about an average, actually. And when you go back and you look and you, you look at the skeletons, you'll find that there are basically what they didn't have back then was the ability to recover from extreme injuries. So you had a lot of people who died of injuries in their, like, hunting years, their Infections, youthful years. Yeah. And then you had a high mortality of children, sort of. We're not exactly sure why. Um, there's this, there's reasons, but it's not always the ones given, like, you know, that they're all starving or something. But when you had a lucky life, these people were dying in their 80s and 90s and early 100s standard. You know, um, Laura Ingalls, her family, most of the women died in their 90s. A lot of the men died in their 40s and their 30s. They're out doing, they're working with the horses, they're out doing the, the heavy tool work. But those, so actually, when you think of the cleanliness of the food and the air and the water and the constant physical activity like your mother had, I mean, actually, unless you're unlucky, your lifespan was pretty darn healthy and pretty long. There may be some lucky genetics involved with that, too. Maybe. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think about my mother's side. All of her family members, except for the aunt that went to Japan, right, have lived into their 90s, 95, 97. You know, so, um, uh, I wonder if they ate maybe really well. Did she eat a traditional... Um, American or a traditional? Um, no, she had high blood pressure. You know, you yeah, know, so she's you know. standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah so, genetics so, in there. Okay. So, yeah. So, so she was like totally off of salt. Right. Totally off of soy sauce. Oh, <laughs> horror! <laughs> you go to eat at her place; it was very bland. You know um, where the largest concentration of um, people living into their hundreds exists on planet Earth. Well, I've heard one place is Japan. That's right. A small island in particular um, off of the mainland of Japan that um, the elders are so completely and thoroughly inculcated into the tradition and culture of the island that they like, they never want for social interaction and for admiration and appreciation. And so it's like they've got the physical going on and they've got the emotional community support. And yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tons of people live to 100. It's the norm there. I need to move. <laughs> You're on an island. I am. I'm very happy here. I Yeah, no, I... Okay, so let's talk real quick. Let's see here. Your aunt, you mentioned your aunt, and that she went back to Japan, but I think she was actually sent because of the no-no answer. Do you want to get into that a little sure, bit? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. I, I think a lot of people don't know about this, mm-hmm. uh, although although the idea of the yes, yes, no, no problem, there's something that happened in about 1943 or so, the U.S. government decided they were going to put out a questionnaire, mm-hmm. and um, one of the questions was, 
would you be willing to serve in the armed forces of the United States? Right. And this was specifically to people in the internment camps. In the internment camps. Right. Um, at a time when the people in the internment camps were not allowed to join the army. Mm. They were shortly after this, mm-hmm. but at the time they weren't. But the question was still there. Mm-hmm. The second question was, um, would you pledge your allegiance to the United States of America and forswear mm-hmm. any allegiance or obedience to Japan? The emperor of Japan, I think it was pretty specific. It may have been. I don't remember yeah. the exact word. I can't tell you the exact word. Something like that, right? Yes. And and there are a couple of things that were the, – the, the majority of people signed yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some people who asked the question, since my family has been uprooted from their homes, lost their jobs, and placed in prison, mm-hmm. and I am an American citizen, mm-hmm. why should I be expected to serve in the United States Army? Right. What am I defending? Yes, because you've taken everything away from me. Right. Now, you've, you've taken my citizenship basically away from me. And the dream of what America was supposed to stand for. Right. When you're right. in the military, right. you're, you're fighting on behalf of your country. And, and I think the people who signed yes and mm-hmm. the people who did go and join the Army mm-hmm. and were part of that celebrated 442nd right. went there for a lot of different reasons. But one reason was they wanted to prove that they were good American citizens. And um, uh, that was that was clearly a, a, a good reason that they were doing it for their families. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part of this is the parents who came from Japan were not allowed to become citizens. It was illegal. It was mm-hmm. not legal for them to become citizens. So if they were to say, yes, I would give my allegiance to the United States and I would disavow any allegiance to Japan, they would become people without a country. Right, right. And I'm not sure if we understand what exactly that means. Um, But but you have no status anywhere you are. Right. And and basically they couldn't go back to Japan or they – and so if they sign no here, Mm -hmm. then then they're seen as as being, um, well – Maybe a risk. Um, dangerous, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and there were a number of people apparently at one camp in Tule Lake, which is northern California, right. that signed no, no. And there was a time then in 1943 after this happened that the government decided that the majority of the people who were in the other camps who signed no, no would be moved to Tule Lake. Mm-hmm. And the ones in Tule Lake that signed yes, yes – will be moved to the other camps. So Tule Lake was the one that they because so that became kind right. of like the big prison. Right. And and, and right. I heard recently that there were originally six guard towers, but by the time Tule Lake closed there were twenty eight guard towers. So it became really a uh, 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 heavily yeah, watched right. um, facility. Mm-hmm. And I had an aunt who so was there. In, Right. Okay, so the aunt will definitely get to you. But it's yeah. what, what's interesting about this is that this these two questions are all about loyalty, 
patriotism, you know, there's these concepts yeah. of giving allegiance to type of thing, which essentially are saying you don't have the right to think for yourself anymore. You cannot logically think about this and come up with your own opinion and offer it up and be considered acceptable. You'll be judged as either being a follower and a loyal, um, you know, allegiance type of patriotic person who will just do what you're told, or you're going to be seen as a threat. So the independent thinkers became automatically, I would assume, basically a threat. I, I, I heard recently that if you sign yes, if I'm allowed to become a citizen you would be seen as disloyal. Well, yeah. In other words, you could not put a condition under that. <clears throat> right. It had to be all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't sign, you were seen as disloyal. Well, so, catch so, 22, it, I think, it, is it, the term it, for that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And your aunt was someone who chose uh, to answer no, no? Uh, she must have. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Because so, so, it was privately done, right? I don't think that's that's right. Yes, right. Yes. And, and and there were some families where one member might 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 sign no no, and another member might sign yes yes. Mm-hmm. Might people who sign no and yes, mm-hmm. right? And and anybody who 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 split the vote, uh, I believe, then was seen as disloyal. I'm not sure what happened to the families for the members. Yeah, did they split yeah, the family yeah. up? Or I, just, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, I can't tell you for sure. Did people know what the consequences would be to their actions prior to answering the questions? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, uh, I, I think some people may have been so angry at what happened to them mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, I mean, if, 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 if you think that, you have all the rights of an American citizen, and they're suddenly taken away from you. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty, pretty devastating situation. Right. Uh, and there were a group of people, uh, many of them who were Japanese citizens, who desired to be sent back to Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were also some American citizens who renounced their citizenship. Mm. Uh, a number of those were able to reverse that. Um, and eventually, of course, just so all of our listeners know, um, eventually uh, there was an apology. I believe it was during the time of the uh, – I don't know who was president at the Reagan. time. Reagan. Okay. But like um, multiple presidents have signed the apology. Um, there were several that signed it. And um, so the government has completely acknowledged the wrongness of what happened. I think the the wording is very clear that, you know, it's along the lines of the government failed to be, you know, brave enough in the face of adversity, um, succumb to, you know, fear. And, you know, and it's, it's pretty clear, basically, this was wrong in every possible way and should not be done again, which, of course, makes it very interesting, you know, watching our current society face some interesting um, pushes within the culture to go this or that direction and how do the good, educated, aware people positively inspire their fellow American citizens to make the best choice? You know, what what are the actions that we need to see in the current day that um, – so this is a very fascinating year. Uh, so at the time, uh, there were there were three – cases of uh, young men who violated the curfew that was in place because uh, they, they wanted to test uh, 
some of the government actions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, they 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 uh, made it through the Supreme Court, but until recently, mm-hmm. uh, those were not overturned. They they were finally overturned. And, right, the and, Supreme and, Court basically ruled right. against them. And uh, right, uh, I believe uh, Minoru Yasui. Uh, one of the, one of those protesters recently re- received a national medal mm-hmm. uh, for 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 his courageous acts. Mm-hmm. Um, and and fact, is I he think, still alive? Uh, no, no. Uh, I think it was awarded posthumously. Yeah, to his wife. Uh, yes, yeah, I, so he didn't live to see yes, it happen. Uh, right, yeah, and, right. Uh, I think his niece lives on the island. So. Wow. So, so we should actually um, dive forward. Probably, thank you for giving some some brilliant um, personal story piece and, and intel to that. It's really important that people take what has happened in the past seriously and look at it um, for information that can help the current day and the future be better. You have one more poem, I believe, you wanted to share. Uh, yes, this is a poem um, in which I try to use the voice of my aunt. Mm. Um, and this is the one that you believe put in no-no and was sent to California and then later was sent back to Japan. Yeah, she was sent uh, to Texas. Uh, she okay. was sent to the, the Crystal City that I mentioned earlier. Oh. And Crystal City was With the, the Italians and the Germans. Yeah, and also Peruvians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, Interesting. the country of Peru sent uh, the Japanese... That uh, they felt um, they they didn't want in the country uh, <gasps> to, to really to Crystal City. That's a long involved story that oh, I, that, we'll get that, into that, that I am time. not yeah, I am no. not an expert on. So <laughs> wow, uh, <laughs> jeez Louise. Okay, so go for it. Okay, this is called "The Fire in My Blood," Tule Lake, nineteen forty-three to nineteen forty-six. Um, Tule Lake stayed open longer than um, the other camps, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Toward the end of that, uh, my aunt was moved to Crystal City, and from there she was awaiting uh, being sent back to Japan. Uh, I shouldn't say back to Japan, right? Sent to Japan. Um, wow. I believe that she had maybe a variety of reasons for for choosing to do this. Mm-hmm. One of these is uh, the traditional kind of. Uh, Respect and responsibility one has for one's parents. Right. And her father, she was the only single person that was left of the children. Mm. And her father, as I mentioned earlier, went back to Japan to see his sister and was trapped back there. Right. And and he would have been in his 60s or older. Um, so she had no uh, family of her own, and, so she felt that and she, she could no go and care for him. This is what I believe, yeah. Right. So he would have been about 70 or so. And maybe not in good health, and she went back to take care of him. But you guys uh, don't have any proof that that happened. Well, there are only the letters that that kind of indicate she wasn't terribly, she wasn't going out of anger, but, mm-hmm. but she had no way to go there. Right, um, right. Uh, she had a business uh, beforehand, um, and she I think she had a shop in the university district. Um, mm-hmm. She uh, was a seamstress, and um, so uh, she lost everything. She would have had no money. She had. She was not in good health herself. 
from her letters, we can see that 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 she was not in good health. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's interesting because I was just reading a, uh, one of her letters today. I've been transcribing the letters so I, I would have them, right. so I, was like, I could read them. Or where, where where she's writing to my mother saying, "I've heard you haven't been well. You should be careful about taking medicines. Mm. Um, things think think things that that there are other ways to." To, to make your body better, uh, like like uh, working on your spine, what chiropractors do, how they right. open up the, the different channels for, for healing. And she's talking about all of these things that, that we would see as kind of like new age medicine. Right. Uh, and, or uh, Asian. Uh, uh, and, or Asian. Well, well, and, and, rooted. And then she says, I haven't heard from John Bastier in a long time. Wow. If you see him, say hello. Oh. Now, I don't know what the connection was, but this had to have been before 1942. Well, and he's not alive anymore. I don't believe he's alive. But his no. family might have the other piece of the puzzle. Well, I don't know, but it was, it was very interesting. I, I, I'm probably not going to pursue that, but, but it was an interesting kind of little note in How there. How could that, you not pursue that, that? It, Lonnie? It's, it's, <laughs> uh, because, because... No, you need to. They might be sitting around. They're over there having a radio show right now being interviewed about their work and they're saying, and then he <laughs> said in this letter about a friend who went to Japan. <laughs> Come on. It, it, it's, it's, it's interesting that, 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 that her notion of health yeah, uh, was was somehow formed somewhere where she would say, "Oh, one well, of the medicines, you know, there are formulated chemicals, and you know, it's just, it just sounds so so naturopathic, right? Know, right? Well, yeah. nat natru- nat- oh, naturopathy. I can't say it right. <laughs> yeah, that. But that was. Um, it's not like it's really new. I mean, it was last century. Oh, yes. And yeah, oh, yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay, so shoot. Okay, and make sure you're talking to the mic. Okay. So this is many parts. I'm just going to read a, a few parts. Uh, I have to make one note here. Uh, she talks about a lover. Mm. And the lover is meant to be the United States. Mm. So don't think about it as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, the fire in my blood has turned my heart to ash. I am char and dust heaped on the frozen floor. No one has given me a stitch of power to sew the scissored remains of my life together. I am a heap of rags. They've raveled what I've sewn and stolen my business of cutting cloth into the shape of other people's lives. When they draped my clothes over their bodies and entered doors I could never enter, they displayed my hands and eyes. I entered doors I will never enter and never see. I've seen lives I can never live, and now callous disregard dampens the ash of undrawn patterns, nothing left to salvage the person I had measured myself to become. Part two. You who have husbands and wives know your angry spouse will relent and open the door when anger slides like a stone to a tired stop at your toes. But a lost lover won't come home when darkness falls. A lost lover will find another softer hand to hold his, will turn his back on the memory of arms willing to forgive him time after time. Three. A designer conceals the body's shape with a drape of cloth and reveals with loving stitches what the model would never herself reveal. 
4. What can you say to a lover who refuses to look you in the eye, to acknowledge your place at his side, who does not introduce you to his family, who will not remember your name nor speak it when he embraces you? What should you say to a lover who will not say he loves you, yet demands your love be physical and substantial, who demands you give him money and land, food and understanding? What should you say to a lover who will not cross the river to visit you when the spring thaw opens the land to young sparrows, deer in the marsh, and white blossoms of the perennial pear, but sends you away to a land barren of hope and water and says, this is not prison, but the gift from fear that no one else can provide. Five. When there is no answer, the best answer is silence. When silence is forbidden, any answer is the wrong answer. But no answer can satisfy every neighbor and the soldiers who stand at the gate, who direct their rifles at those who have no voice. There are two questions and two answers. Yes, yes, no, no. And no answer can be no answer. <sighs> so I'm going to stop there. Yeah. Uh, the poem goes on. Yeah. And this is your poem written in the way that you would perceive that your aunt would have perhaps thought. Yes, of, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to create a voice. You do a good job. To, to <laughs> say what. My imagination says she might have been feeling. Yeah. 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 Lonnie, thank you very much for making time during your busy finals period to come in and talk with me. Well, thank you for the time that you're offering for me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is, I've, I've sort of had my eye on you for about, a year and a half, roughly, or since you read at the Land Trust, and um, so I'm I'm really glad this worked out. I find um, I've never been a person who really was comfortable with poetry because I felt that it was invasive of me to actually believe I understood what the poetry meant. Um, to me, poetry has always felt very personal to the poet writing it, and I've always felt invasive which I know is not what a poet wants me to feel, but it's a personal thing. And then when I started to have a chance to hear poets read their own poetry, it changed everything for me because the voice inflection, the facial expressions, and oftentimes the conversation with the poet actually makes me feel like I'm not um, sort of rudely assuming that I know what they meant but I actually am starting to understand what they mean because there's more to it than just the words on the paper. So um, I, I really love what you bring to your um, spoken poetry. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, the book is full of poetry, which is great for people who love to just read it by themselves at home. <laughs> yeah, there are other poems. I mean, they're, they're, they're not all about uh, internment and about uh, sadness. I mean, there, there's, right. some, there's some love poems and there's some other poems about family. Yeah, which is a whole point about and other poems. So, and it's a good, what is it, about 70 pages? Oh, Look. I don't know. How long is the book? I'm guessing. Uh, it says, yeah, 70 plus 100. Oh. So it's 170 pages. Yeah, 170 wow, pages. Wow, that is not... Yeah. Okay, okay, well, that actually it, makes it sense, I guess. It doesn't look that big. But, yeah, 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 yeah. No, but it, it looks like it's a nice yeah. book to have on your yes. bedstand. Yes, yes. 
Like and, you could read one every night for two thirds of a year. And, That'd and be brilliant. And, and it's published by Endicott and Hugh, mm -hmm. which is Genie uh, Okimoto, mm. who resides on the island, right? And who is right. well known for her novels. Yes, yes, right. exactly. Right. I know, and it's her own publishing. It's, um, it's her publishing company. Yes, exactly. Yes. All right, so that is our show, folks. Um, my name is March Swisdale. I have been chatting with Lonnie Kaneko. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. And um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Prose, Poetry, and Purpose, where my guest authors share how they hope to inspire positive change in the world, one reader and one listener at a time. For those of you who live on or visit Vashon Island, you can drop by the Vashon Bookshop and flip through a display copy of Coming Home from Camp and Other Poems. 